0: Hey everybody, welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another studcast with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Polo. It's the only podcast on the planet, and we're documenting the real story of professional wrestling. It's 100 years of rich wrestling history. Now, welcome the originator of the studcast, the man who changed the podcasting world with the Super Studcast. We step back into the ring, back into time. With the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Hey, Ron, what you doing? What's going on?
1: I'm good, man. I'm doing really good. Feeling good. Really uh, think we got a great one here today, like we've been having, man. Uh, We're in a great time period, 1977. uh, Things are really, really cooking for Southeastern. And we got a big month that we're in the middle of here. And uh, I'm just ready to go whenever you are, my man listen i'm I'm not blowing
0: smoke or kissing your butt as I've been known to do but I I'm telling you the truth these studcasts are on fire and the super stud cast as well it's I don't know what what's the difference what's going on but it seems like everybody is a part of this thing and it just keeps getting bigger congratulations dude and listen here's the other thing almost 200 episodes with a minimum of Of one hour a piece because you don't just stop if the story ain't finished. But anyway, that's awesome and approaching 200 episodes. Congratulations!
1: Well, thank you very much, man. Uh, I really appreciate that. I never thought that would happen. I never thought I'd see 100, much less 200. Uh, So, you know, I'm uh, I'm real uh, I'm real proud of that. And obviously, uh, from the numbers that I see, that we do have a big audience and. I get these orders for things like uh, I had a photo order today from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, man. Wow. You know, uh, and outside the country, it's pretty amazing uh, All the how far out our reach is. And I uh, really, really want to thank fans out there for that. I really, really appreciate that. And uh, you have a lot to do with that yourself, Dave. They like to hear your crazy horse names, man. Well, and I get a lot of comments about why don't you help Dave get good horses?
0: You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, all right. You're just, you're just bragging. Stop it. So,
1: mean You it. Ma- you mentioned, uh, you mentioned the stud cast and the super stud cast. The, this last one, this last super stud cast, number 39. Wow. I, I got involved with two people here that are just really, really remarkably knowledgeable about territories, their territories. And I say there because it's, uh, it's the territories that they are really familiar with. George Shire. is one of those that's uh, he's a, he's a tremendous historian. So far as the AWA is concerned, a real, real wrestling historian and, and the same for Dave Berzinski as well. Right. Yeah. Both of them, you know, I mean, it's it's truly amazing, uh, these these are uh, two territories, and uh, we spend more than three hours—a little over three hours—in discussions about these two territories. And heck, I learned a heck of a lot myself about those territories that I never knew. And uh, you know, I, I got a feeling fans are really, really enjoying that. I hope they are. You know, and uh, and we we have a record number of patrons, and it it just continues to grow as the stupid, as the regular stud casts do. So real, uh, real happy with it. And, uh, this is a great one. I mean, if, if you're interested in that type of stuff and, uh, wrestling history, uh, wow, these are, these are great ones for you to get involved with out there, fans. Uh, the, these, these are really good. And these guys are extremely knowledgeable about their territories. That's
0: awesome. And that's a lot of wrestling, a lot of wrestling history just in your noggin. And then you got two wrestling historians on. So, you know, it's you know it's going to be big. But anyway, once again, TNstud.com, you find every studcast. You find every super stud cast. They're all right there. TNstud.com. All right. Now, let's also mention your book, Brutus, before we get the show rolling. It's become hugely successful, even though it was something totally different than you had ever done before. So where are you getting a- an idea like this for super studcast number 39?
1: Well, you know. Gosh, I guess my mind kind of runs in all directions. Uh, Brutus, I never thought would be nearly as successful as it's turning out to be. And, uh, you know, and I got the idea for these super casts because I'm a lifelong wrestling fan. You know, I grew up in it, uh, third generation, and I want to know as much about wrestling as I can. And and I really learned, uh, like I said a second ago, I learned a heck of a lot about these territories that I didn't know myself, uh, you know, and uh and some of it, uh, you know, a heck of a lot of it. I'd never heard. I was like, "Wow, jeez, is that? How can that be true?" So, you know, I just encourage uh, those of you that are into the sport, you know, and uh, and you you want to take uh, the ride behind the the door of wrestling, find out what it was all about. You're gonna find some stuff in this uh, number 39 that's an eye opener, man, for uh, for anybody, for any wrestling fan. Uh, really, really interesting stuff. All
0: right, cool deal. And in Studcast, uh, let's talk just a second about Studcast on fire. And the next three are going to be really good. Let's talk about those for a second.
1: Well, I mean, you know, we're building up to Harley Race coming in on uh, April twenty seventh, nineteen seventy seven. Uh, his first time in uh, southeastern as the heavyweight champion of the world, and uh, it's uh, you know they, we're we're three weeks out. From that particular, that'll be episode 196. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're in 193 today. But these next couple of weeks, uh, we're, we're struggling to figure out who's going to wrestle him. And then we get, we get Sam Muchik involved in it as well back in those days. It's quite a saga of, uh, you know, who you're going to book against your world champion, especially when you get a new champion in there. And uh, also, you know, Harley Race, the fact that he uh, never been there before. He could actually come to Knoxville and wrestle as either a heel or a babyface as a champion.
0: Yeah, so that gives yeah.
1: you the opportunity to have a, a heel wrestling if you right. wanted to. It's really fun for me to go back and, uh, and look at these times again and to think about all the things that were going on and all the thoughts that were running through my head back in those days.
0: What was the actual date that Harley was going to be wrestling? And where was that? It was the NWA world championship when and where was that going to be? What was the date set?
1: The date was Thursday, uh, April 27, 1977.
0: All right. That's that's different. Why on a Thursday? Harley race in Knoxville on a Thursday rather than a, a Friday or a even a Friday night or a Sunday afternoon.
1: Uh, well, you know, uh, it, it happened by accident, actually, because I thought that Sam was aware that we were a Friday night town. And Sam had to book, Sam Muchnick, <laughs> president of the NWA, he used to book right. out the champion. And, and he just, uh, uh, I guess he assumed that uh, Thursday was just as good as a Friday. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, uh, and I had to take the date. Once I got the date, I could, it was too late to get the, whoever got that Friday night to take the, they're not going to give me that for a Thursday night. But, yeah. you know, Dave, sometimes the good Lord, uh, he makes things happen that we don't expect. We have a record-breaking crowd. We sell out, and we turn away thousands of people on a Thursday night. I have no idea how many we would have turned away if we'd have been on a Friday night. So I just have to be thankful for uh, for what happened. You know, maybe it was a good thing that a lot of people didn't get turned away uh, because uh, you know if we'd had it on a Friday night, uh, that building it, it would I think that Coliseum would add to hold twice as many people as what it held. To handle the Friday night.
0: Okay. So where are we riding to today? Stud, what's going on?
1: Oh man, we're, we're going to be wearing the Booker's hat again today. And uh, we're going to drive, you know, uh, we'll go out there to drive interest and try to confuse the wrestling fans. My brother and I as the Booker's about just who's going to get the shot at Harley race when he comes into town toward the end of the month of April in 1977. And uh, who's going to get that shot at the 10 pounds of gold? Uh, We're going to focus also today. Our main focus is going to be on the card of April 7th, 1977. And we're back in the Coliseum. Uh, We were in Chilharry Park with the Battle Royal last week with Haystacks Calhoun. We moved back to the Coliseum. On this one, there's a big double main event. Uh, The TV title and the Southeastern Championship are both going to be at stake in one match. And also, there's going to be a Southeastern Tag Championship on that card. And uh, the TV that promoted it, we're going to discuss that. We're going to discuss the results of this card of April 7th. And we'll talk about the attendance. And then uh, we're going to close her route today with a heck of a learning tree. Uh, and the question is uh, from the gentleman, Is is it true that Jerry Lawler once held the Southeastern Championship? that he refused to come back and defend it in the next week after he lost it. And uh, was that a work or did something uh, go wrong? You know, which is a really good question. So uh, I'm going to explain that uh, at the end of the program about what was happening during that time frame. And I think that will uh, straighten that out for that gentleman. And uh, and I'm uh, just uh, ready to get it, my man. All right, obviously, another great one is coming up, Ron. So I'm ready to ride
0: into this one, and my new horse, Meatloaf, is saddled up and ready to go. So where to first,
1: Ron? Oh, boy, Meatloaf this week, huh? You know, I Dave, I, I just ate I just ate some of your horse two days ago, <laughs> yeah. man, and it was good, too, you know? Thank you. And- I hope I didn't eat his legs, you know, oh, <laughs> so, you know, okay. Give old meat meatloaf the spurs, man. And uh, let's see how long it's going to take both of you two guys to get it indigestion, man. You and you, your just, horse, you, man.
0: you don't <laughs> get it. Meatloaf is a draft horse. And back in the day he hauled meat. So that's, so I don't know. Oh,
1: what oh okay. Meatloaf. Well, yes. Okay. Anyway, well, he's, he's a know.
0: kind, gentle, elderly horse. And let's, let's don't beat up on him too. Never um, mind.
1: Okay, 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 all right, so you know, meatloaf, meatloaf is going to be welcome here, I can tell you Loaf that
0: Loaf is the main word Okay
1: All right So, so uh, we open up uh, with today's training, my man, and uh, and as a booker, along with my brother Rob, as I was saying a few minutes ago We, we kind of have the job of trying to confuse our audience and uh, keep them guessing about who's going to actually wrestle Harley Race for the NWA world title And that match is going to take place only 20 days after the one we're going to be talking about in this stud cast. And I always thought that naming the NWA's champ opponent shortly before the title match was a lot more effective than naming the opponent a long way ahead of the championship match. And sometimes when you name that opponent a long way ahead of that championship match, it takes the emphasis off of the matches that you have coming up, the buildup to that match. So, uh, you know, we're going to kind of do this in the manner in which I like to do it uh, when I own the company. Uh, and the great thing about this NWA world title match was the fact that there were three very qualified potential opponents and even a fourth that uh, could sell out the Coliseum. And, uh, you know, possibly even five guys at this point in uh, Southeastern uh, and uh, with what was happening in the NWA itself. That would make tremendous opponents at this time. It was really unusual situation to have that many guys available that could draw you a sellout in a world championship match. The five potential opponents uh, were Ronnie Garvin, uh, the Mongolian stomper, Bob Armstrong, Terry Funk, and myself. So uh, in this today's training as, as as a booker, and we've got our booker hats on. Let's take a look at all five of these guys including myself, and uh, let's see what opportunities and who would make the best opponent. So the first thing that was always usually considered by territories when you started to book uh, someone against the world champion was who holds your most important belt in the territory. In Florida, that would be the Florida heavyweight champion. In Georgia, it would be the Georgia champion. Southeastern, it's obviously the question is the Southeastern champions probably should get the shot and that belt in uh knoxville was the southeastern championship but so ronnie garvin would have made a great opponent for harley you know he had just turned babyface, and uh you know uh just uh weeks before the matches you know uh, this title match he, he lost <laughs> a loser leave to uh bob wharton jr uh actually on march 19th 1977 and he left the territory and obviously. He eliminated him, but had he not had to leave, he would have made a tremendous opponent for Harley race in that championship match. Yeah, sure. Harley race. It never wrestled in Southeastern or even in that part of Tennessee ever at this point. And before he became the world champion and the local fans didn't have much knowledge of Harley race, unless they were in the magazines, they probably didn't know much about Harley. And, uh, we could have brought him in, and he could have wrestled as either babyface or a heel. And uh, Harley had the ability to go both ways if he needed him to, and if he wanted him to. And he could have, uh, you know, we could have booked him against the Mongolian Stomper, as an example, and probably uh, sold out with that. Uh, so you know, but the Stomper had been the champion. He had been the champion in southeastern since the second week he'd arrived in the territory, which was two months earlier. And uh, it was not the best idea always to put the NWA champion against the heel, but it had been done in many territories, and they had been they had been so success had with it. But uh, at this point, I felt like there were probably three better choices than uh, the Mongolian Stomper. Bob Armstrong had won the Southeastern title from the Stomper on March the 5th in 77, and he lost it back to the Stomper nine days later in Johnson City, Tennessee. But he was really over, man. But uh, you know, I'm not sure that he would have been the best choice at that time. There's another guy that wasn't in Southeastern that was that was involved basically, and that was Terry Funk. And uh, obviously, Terry was really over as a heel from all those interviews he'd sent in before that October 10th, 1976, World Championship match with me. He had a lot of heat, and his match uh, that Sunday afternoon against me drew the largest crowd yet in wrestling's history in the cox coliseum yeah and the controversial finish uh there when involved ronnie garvin you know it, it created an immense amount of heat for both garvin and for uh terry funk mm-hmm. and then the, the deal was that terry had never had a return match to win his belt back if he could do that and that was always a standard for champions when you won a belt uh, whoever you want Pretty quickly, he got a return match, and uh, Terry. Now, months later, after uh, Harley has won the belt, has not had this opportunity. So you know, Terry Funk would have made a great opponent in Knoxville for a Harley Race, uh, and I think that that would have filled the coliseum. And uh, you know, then and then I was also a top prospect, uh, obviously, and uh, and I had as a heel, actually, two years to the day. On April 27, 1975, I beat Jack Briscoe in the middle of the ring, was awarded the 10 pounds of gold. I left the ring with the belt. And then I come back 18 months later against uh, Terry Funk, and I get my hand raised again. I get the belt handed to me again, and uh, one or two referees changes the decision. (laughs) Ronnie Garvin comes to the ring, jumps off in my throat. Everything was changed right there in an instant. So twice in 18 months. I had beaten two different world champions in the Knoxville Coliseum. So, therefore, I I had to be considered a top prospect, too.
0: All right. So, you made a strong case for five different wrestlers to get a shot at Harley Race for the NWA world title. So, who's got the match?
1: Well, now, Dave, I didn't say I was going to tell everybody who was going to get the match. You know, I I said it was Robin DeMai's job to keep fans in suspense about it.
0: All right, I see what's going on here. So, or maybe maybe I don't see what's happening here. So, we're back to UK faving all of us, right, Ron?
1: <laughs> well, well, you know, Dave, uh, there's a lot going to happen in the next three stud casts before fans, you know, are going to get the actual answer to the question that we're talking about today. Who's going to get the shot? And I don't, I know in today's wrestling they don't do it this way anymore. But I'm kind of old school, man. You know. <laughs> I'm not going to take the surprise away from any listeners out there that don't know the answer to this question. Okay. So uh I guess something as simple as that. It's kind of the reason why wrestling was so much larger and better back in the old days than it is today, man. I'm Run. not getting, I'm, it's me know, okay, Dave. Dave is good. It's huh? me Dave.
0: It's your Studcast listeners, your faithful Studcast listeners. So all right, you you're not giving up anything, are you?
1: Uh, well you know uh we're, we're yeah well i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna give up what's happening on the show of friday april 7th 1977 <laughs> I going, that's, that's where we're, we're riding next right that's where we're riding next man we're gonna ride into that coliseum on friday night april 7th and uh and we're going to be moving back into the coliseum and uh you know, I'm going to give you that card, man, and uh, we'll just, We'll let that other stuff uh, t- find its own place in here. So, uh, you know, that first match on April 7th, man, was a tremendous babyface match with Dick Steinborn uh, in wrestling against a great young star, Rip Smith. Uh, Mike Stallings and Norvell Austin, they'd been having some tremendous matches in Southeastern. I was watching them a lot in a lot of different towns. And I thought it was time to put those boys in front of a big crowd because they were having great matches together. The next match on that card was going to also be a great one. Uh, these are two big-time workers. These boys, uh, these two, are are just about to reach the peak of their uh, young years, man. And Bob Wharton Jr. and Jimmy Golan, uh, where they're going to have their first uh, return Southeastern match against each other on that night. And this card on the the April 7th of 77, it had a double main event. Uh, The Southeastern tag belts were on the line in the next match on that card, and the Von Tigers were defending against Bob Armstrong and my brother Rob. And uh, those two guys were the former tag team champions for Georgia, one of the best uh, tag teams they'd ever had in Georgia. And then the last main event was a winner takes all, And it's my TV trophy uh, at stake against the Mongolian Stompers Southeastern belt. Don Carson's obviously going to be in the Stompers corner. And the winner is going to get both the Southeastern belt and the TV trophy uh, when the match is over.
0: Cool. Okay. So a great card there with a, a whole lot at stake, it sounds like. All right. I noticed also in today's training about who deserved a shot of the champion that every territory's champion was usually the first one considered that being the case though, I guess this upcoming double Southeastern championship match could be pretty important in deciding who would get the shot at Harley race
1: 20 days later. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. You know, and, uh, and I'm proud of you, Dave, you picked up on that man. And uh, you know, uh, would, it definitely, is going to have a big bearing on, on, Harley's opponent. You know, you, you're getting a lot smarter, David, than your horses, man. They don't seem to be increasing their speed, but by golly, you're really jumping on things, uh. and I hope your meatloaf's fresh, man. I hope he's doing good in this ride, because uh, we got a ways to go in this one.
0: Well, thanks for the compliment, Ryan, but I, I wish you could leave my horse out of this discussion. And thank you for not calling me Captain Obvious. <laughs> Where were we?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh- I got a feeling, Dave, your horses aren't just left out of everybody's discussions, man, but but they probably are left out of the barn, man. All right, listen. you got the best horses.
0: I I just put my hands over Meatloaf's little ears. They're big ears, actually. I'm going to ignore that statement, but I bet I'm also right about it being time to talk about the TV show of Saturday, April 1st, April Fool's Day, 1977. How does that one open up? Let's get it.
1: Okay, and you're right about the date, man. You're on it, uh, you know, and it opens with the close-up of Les uh, stature, and he's giving fans the matches for the day. That's the way we always open it up, and when he finishes and the camera begins to back away, the huge set behind him reveals old 601-pound haystack Calhoun. He's laying on his back, and he's bleeding, and the Stomper has got his big old size 15 boot right in the, the big man's face. Wow. And, uh, so. Don Carson's sitting next to Les at the set, and the Mongolian by standing behind Carson. He's got his southeastern belt around his waist, and when he has his belt on, he's always got a smile on his face. So it was a shot from uh, you know last week's show in which we had a battle royal, one of the rare battle royals on TV. So Les began right away to speak about what fans were seeing in this still shot. And as usual, Carson interrupted. Imagine that, you know. Carson described the steel shot that he he says, you know, Thatcher. What you're seeing and everybody out there is seeing is a perfect example of what my Mongolian stalker's been doing, you know, to so-called superstars like Case Sal- Calhoun, uh, the so-called superstar Haystacks Calhoun, around the world for years. So. Les tried to get in the conversation, but Carson was already on a roll, man. So Carson screamed for the director to run run that video from last week's show. And Carson (laughs) liked to run the show instead of Les, and uh, Les hated it, obviously. (laughs) And so the tape began to roll. And the the camera picked up on one of the Bond Stigers that was holding the legs of Haystacks while Stomper was stomping him in the face. And, uh, you know, they continue to run, uh, run the ropes, and he'd come back and stomp stacks in the face again. That happened two or three times. And within a couple of minutes, the video showed that Stomper at this point's in the ring by himself. Haystacks has done thrown out the uh, one of the Germans, and uh, he's eliminated a couple of guys. And it's just basically Stomper and Haystacks. And uh, at this point, uh, the referee had gotten knocked down, and Stomper's trying to get Haystacks out of the ring by himself. Well, the Von Steiger brothers had just been thrown out. They're still standing out there on the studio floor, and Don Carson's out there with them, and they see what's happening. The referee's got his back turned. He's down. He's not going to see what's happening. So they jump up on the apron, the three of them, and they start trying to help the stomper lift haystacks over the top rope. So Les kind of gets his first opportunity to say anything about what's happened so far in this battle royal. And he asked Carson to explain why there's three of you men instead of just uh, the stomper who's still in the match attempting to throw haystacks from the ring. What? Why do you think that you guys are – it's okay for you all to get involved here? And, they, you know, and as always, boy, Don was so sharp, man, he had an explanation. He said, you know, uh, only the stomper was throwing the fat man over the top rope less. You know, he said. The three of us was trying to catch him. He's a big guy. We didn't want him to get hurt when he hit the concrete. Oh, my You know? God. So, so this was kind of at a loss for words. And uh, about that time, the referee got up. Uh, they had already dumped ice stacks out of the ring. And he raised Stomper's hand. So, uh, But that's where Carson then really got rolling. And he, he started explaining why he wanted this time at the set early in the program. And he said to Les, you know, uh, we, uh, to watch this match from last week, to see one of Stomper's recent conquests, he said, we're here to ask Southeastern officials why the heck they have not already made their great champion, my Mongolian Stomper, the man to face Harley Race for the NWA world title in less than 20 days. Because what are they waiting for, Les? You know, and then he continued that there's no more qualified opponent on the planet than my Mongolian stomper. They, they need to get in gear and set this matchup. So Les began to try and explain that there were at least two other qualified wrestlers in Southeastern, Ron Fuller and Bob Armstrong, that deserved consideration, as well as Terry Funk, that had yet to get a rematch with Harley Race. So Carson stopped him right away. Just basically, he's the well, he wanted to get to the point. He says, you know, uh, let's stop the argument here and now. He says, I'm going to prove to all the fans around the world that my Stomper is the man for the NWA world title match. My Stomper has regularly beat two men at a time on TV almost every week since he's been here. And today, he goes, I'm going to absolutely prove that he's qualified for the world title shot. He says, today I'm going to put his Southeastern championship on the line against not two guys, but I'm going to have a third guy put in the ring with him. And I'm going to let all three of them be in the ring with him the entire match. Mm -hmm. So, and then he says, if the stomper loses, he goes, "Uh, you know, Southeastern, they probably wouldn't know who to give the belt to. They can take the belt and give it to anybody they want to. You know, he says, that's how much confidence I have in my man. But then he says, but if my stomper wins the day, Les Thatcher, Southeastern wrestling officials have to consider him for the NWA world title shot with Harley Race. So Les was obviously impressed. You know, like, what are you, are you serious? You're going to have him beat three guys? You're going to have him put the belt up? So he repeats Carson's claim. You know, he makes Carson say, yes, that's what I want, Thatcher. I'm going to put three guys in there with him. I'll put up the belt. And, you know, and uh, so he took his stomper to the ring and he took his southeastern belt off of him and he sent him into the ring. And the three men were already in the ring waiting. And in less than three minutes, all three of them had been stomped in the face. They'd been covered. They'd been counted out. It was a very impressive win by anybody's standards to watch a guy do that in less than three minutes. No (laughs) doubt. So, Carson is the champion and his champion. They came back to the set for the first interview, and he asked Les if he'd ever seen anything like that before. You know, Les could only say, No, you know, I have not seen anything like that before. It's pretty amazing. So, then Carson pointed out that his stomper was going to have the chance the following Friday to also win the Southeastern TV trophy against me, Ron Fuller. And when that happened, he said, no one will ever be able to deny that my Stomper is the only wrestler in Southeastern worthy of the title shot. So the two of them, Stomper and Carson stormed off the set. And, uh, you know, it had been a very compelling uh, opening to the show. And, And if you were making a case for the Stomper's inclusion and the potential opponents for Harley Race, you couldn't deny it. You know, think back, uh, they showed right off. He beat Haystacks Calhoun in the Battle Royal. And then live, he beats three men. So it definitely put his name into the mix to be considered for the upcoming shot at the NWA champion.
0: All right. Good stuff right there. Hey, it's a good point to take a break. Let's do that. And don't forget TNstud.com. Every studcast and every super stud cast, all at TNstud.com. Hey, this studcast will continue in a moment. Stay with us. Ron Fuller is known worldwide as a great storyteller, especially when it comes to wrestling. However, his greatest story has now become a novel. Brutus has more than 45 star reviews on Amazon.com. Look for it under Brutus Novel. See them for yourself and find out how readers react to the roller coaster terror ride of Brutus an african lion is on the loose in the great smoky mountains national park now there's a plot from the mind of ron fuller comes brutus this amazing novel came from a one-night dream And two years of writing to piece it together. Get it now at Amazon.com Brutus Novel or the special autograph copy at TNstud.com and click Stud Store. Many of the reviews compare Brutus to one of the greatest books and movies of all time, Jaws. Some reviewers say it's better than Jaws. There's nothing like it. Imagine what a specially autographed novel like this would mean to your family if it becomes a movie. Amazon.com, Brutus Novel, or TNStud.com. Click Stud Store for the autographed copy. Experience the stud in a totally different way. It's one of the best-selling old-school video collections of all time, and it comes from the lost territory, southeastern continental wrestling. It features more than 60 stars from two of the greatest territories ever, from Hulk Hogan's first-ever encounter with Andre the Giant in 1978 to Ric Flair World Title Matches in the 80s. This five-DVD pack is loaded with history. Get it now at tnstud.com. Click Stud Store. Only $39.99, and that includes shipping. 60 plus... Matches. Over 12 hours of wrestling history. With stars from the Armstrongs to Arn and Mr. Olympia. The Fantastic Stud Stable of Foolers Golden. The Lord Humongous. Assassin. Mr. Wrestling 2. Austin Idol. Tommy Wildfire Rich and Johnny Rich. Kevin Sullivan and his New Guinea headhunters. Dr. Tom Pritchard, Dutch Mantel, The Dirty White Boy, and far too many others to name. TNstud.com. Click Stud Store. Get yours for $39. 99 and that includes shipping if you've never purchased videos before or if you're a collector there has never been an offer like this it's the best deal in wrestling welcome back it's another stud cast we're right here in the middle of history being recalled by the tennessee stud round four all right so catch us up where were we run. let's get right back to it
1: Okay, we're we're in the second segment of the show. Carson and uh, Stomper have opened the show for everybody, and uh, you know that's been quite a display. Uh, I would have to say, having having remembered this, uh, wow, you know it really was impressive. So the second segment of the show was really going to get the studio up after Carson's long tribute to the Stomper in the first segment, Uh, and Bob Armstrong and Robert uh, they exploded into the studio, man, and. Boy, they charged that building, man, and uh, and around the ring they went. They high-fived the fans. Uh, I mean, everything changed. The old attitude of the program changed instantly. And Les was joined at the set by the Southeastern Tag Champion Von Steiger brothers, because they're going to be meeting Rob and uh, Bob Armstrong uh, the following Friday night. The battle royal from the night before they had the crowd. Uh, The the big spot in that battle royal was the Von Steigers and Rob and Bob getting into it. They stood out, and it's hard to stand out in the middle of a battle royal, but the four of them got into it, and one eliminated the uh, guy on the other team, and they went back and forth, and automatically all four of them were eliminated. And then they kept fighting. They fought all the way back to Von Steigers' dressing room. So – uh, they eliminated each other, and wow, did they make an impression on the fans there. I, I, that part of the match, I really, really was impressed with. Uh, the TV tag match uh, got started, and all the Von Steigers wanted to talk about was what had happened in the Battle Royal the night before. So Les was trying to keep them focused on the tag match that was going on in the ring uh, that was uh, you were really setting the studio crowd on fire. But uh, they weren't interested in putting over Bob and Rob, that's for sure. So, you know, they knew that they had been the Georgia tag champions. That didn't impress them when Les brought that up. And you could tell by the quick tags that Rob and Bob were making in the ring that they'd spent a lot of time working together in the ring. So the Von Steigers ignored the match basically with Les. They only wanted to talk about the battle royal from the night before and how those two jerks up there in the ring It cost them the battle royal money. So uh, the studio exploded when Rob and Bob, they double pinned their opponents in the match in the live match. The Von Steigers promised to keep their belts, which they had sitting on the desk in front of them. They grabbed their belts and they took off before Rob and Bob could get to the set. The Rob and Bob started, they they took the second interview, and they gave fans a history lesson, basically, about the Von Steiger brothers' run in Southeastern as tag champions. And it was an extremely impressive history. They told how the Germans won the belts on July 9, 1976, three weeks after the second brother arrived in Knoxville. Carl came first, and Kurt came three weeks later. And uh, so they stayed undefeated once they won the belts and disappeared from Southeastern on August 12th, 1976, and did not defend nor even wrestle in Southeastern wrestling for six weeks, but they had the belts. So there was no championship matches for a six-week period of time because the Von Steigers chose to wrestle somewhere else. So then they returned on the Terry Funk World Title Night of October 10th, 1976, And they lost their belts that night the first time back since they had left with the belts. They won their belts back a month later after that. And uh, then they held those belts for four straight months until uh, Rob and I beat them on March the 5th, 1977. So then, uh, you know, the Von Steigers won them back nine days later in Johnson City, Tennessee. So it basically meant that this German team had only been beaten two times in nine months of Southeastern wrestling. Pretty amazing for any team to have a record like that. So uh, then Rob and Bob both, they got to their point for doing this little piece of history and, uh, and the fact that they intended to stop the longest run in Southeastern tag team wrestling history the very next Friday night that they were going to be the third team to beat them since they had arrived. And it would be the last time the German team would ever wear the Southeastern tag belts. Boy, when they said that, the crowd exploded. And uh, they said they had been the Georgia tag champions, a record six straight months in 1972. And they were going to break that record in Southeastern. Studio audience erupted again, obviously. They were really over. Personality profile was next in the show, and this one was really special. For the first time ever, the NWA president, Sam Muchnick, sent an interview, and so did Harley Race for this same show, so they're both in the profile. So let's open the profile. He's by himself, which was very irregular. Normally, there was somebody there, and he started out with the video sent by Harley Race, and Harley basically said it didn't make any difference who got the title shot, that he wasn't going to be beaten by any man for his belt. didn't make any difference who the heck got got the shot. So uh, Sam Mutsnik's interview was very, very different than that, though. And he congratulated Southeastern wrestling officials for the fantastic job that they had done over the last year to bring such great wrestlers and events to the Southeastern United States. He congratulated them for all the... There are all-time record crowds in that part of the country, and for the fact that there were so many great wrestlers in the area qualified for a shot at NWA world champion Harley Race, he just couldn't overemphasize the fact that Southeastern had tremendous talent. He explained that he wasn't accustomed to making the type of decisions about who's going to wrestle the world champion, you know, but he felt it was time to start eliminating challengers because he owed that to the champion, Harley Race, to give him an idea who to expect he's going to wrestle in four weeks for the 10 pounds of gold. And he went on. He said he was aware that Bob Armstrong had recently held the Southeastern belt, that the Mongolian Stomper was the present champion, and that I had an upcoming match with the Stomper for the shot at that belt. And he added that Terry Funk's rematch with Harley Race had not already happened, and it just complicated everything so far as Southeastern officials and so far as him in deciding who's going to get the shot. He said, obviously, the Southeastern champion would be in the driver's seat in the Southeastern area, but the Terry Funk issue also had to be considered, and and he was right. I mean, Terry obviously had a shot to see if he could uh, regain his title. Mm -hmm. So he assured on the end of this video, Southeastern fans that he was staying on the top of the results every week in the Southeast. He understood the importance of selecting the best opponent for the title shot and would probably as Southeastern officials had suggested, make the final decision if it was necessary. Now that was a crazy thing. Uh, You know, normally Sam would not put himself in that position. But obviously, if it need be, and the Southeastern people wanted it to happen, he would make the decision who gets the shot. So Les basically summed it up. Uh, The two videos of run. He said Southeastern had obviously become so loaded with great wrestlers that the National Wrestling Alliance president was now having to get involved in making the decision. And uh, Les said in all of his years in professional wrestling, he had never seen that happen before. Uh, that they had that much talent in the territory. They had to get president of the NWA had to get involved that the upcoming main event uh, six nights later on Friday night in the Coliseum, that's going to go the the belt and the trophy to the winner of might be the most important match in Southeastern history.
0: Wow. That's pretty interesting. And here's this, maybe this is unusual. Maybe not. I don't remember seeing the NWA president, as I recall, on any TV wrestling show before. I mean, is that a sign that Southeastern was really making a a big name for itself, Ron?
1: Oh, yeah, (laughs) it certainly was. You know, it didn't happen often. You know, on rare occasions, I do remember in the four years I was in Florida, that uh, maybe twice you'd see Sam Mutchik have something to say with Gordon Soley on that program. But uh, you know, it it wasn't something that went on very often, and it really did. It highlighted exactly how important the match six days later between me and the Mongolian stomper was. So uh, TV goes on. Third segment is Bob Warden Jr. He's in the next match, and uh, boy, he was despised by fans at this point because he was the guy responsible for running Ronnie Garvin out of Southeastern and. Boy, Orton loved that heat, man, and he really enjoyed making the fans as angry as he could. I, I never saw a guy smile and had a smirk on his face as much as Orton did as a heel, you know, and he quickly in this match dispatched his opponent. He beat him with his patented backbreaker. He dropped him on his head as he had other opponents, and he got the three count. And he got up with the biggest smile yet on his face, and, uh, and he directed it right straight to the cameras. He saw where the cameras were, and he made a point of making sure they were seeing him and his big, smirky smile. So, you know, he went into Studio B, and Jimmy Golden joined Les at the set for the next interview. They're scheduled to wrestle each other in a return match. Uh, and they'd wrestled the week before in a 20-minute time limit draw This time, it's going to be a 30-minute time limit match between the two of them. So I was in the last match on this show, and I went to the set before the bell rang. And I took my TV trophy, and I put it on Les's desk. And I told Les, you know, since the Stomper had been there early in the show, and he put up his belt and had beaten three men at once, that I intended to match his feet before this show was over, that I'd put up my TV trophy. Uh, They could have three guys in the ring, send them to the ring, and I'll do exactly what he did. I'll put up my trophy and I'll beat three guys on television too. The Les said, You know, well, Ron, you don't have to do that, you know. And I told him that I wanted, I wanted to, that I wanted this shot at Harley race more than any match I'd ever had, and that I could do anything, you know, the Mongolian starboard could do. And I was going to prove it. Uh, you know right here on tv just like he proved he could beat three guys at once i'll do the same thing so phil rainey was up in the ring and he started announcing my opponents by the time i left you know the said i took the tv trophy and there was a guy that uh, took the wrestling jackets from the wrestlers i handed him the tv trophy and i started into the ring and boy these three guys <laughs> They were ready, man. They attacked me, man. I never got through the ropes, and they were pounding me, and they got me down, and the studio audience kind of got behind me right away, and they started to go run, go Trent, and, you know. So I finally got my bearings a little bit, and I began a, a, a comeback, and I sent one of them out on the concrete, you know, and I I'd, I'd, I'd cut it down to two men that I had to deal with, and I piled drive one of those guys, and then I sent the third one in the ropes, and I drop kicked him. I covered the one that I drop kicked, got the three count. I pinned the guy that was pile drive because he wasn't moving. And then uh, the guy that been on the floor, he, he sneaked back into the ring. And when I got up from uh, covering the pile drive one, he took a punch at me and I ducked it. And, uh, and I put the fuller leg lock on him. So he quickly gave up. So I pretty much did what the stomper did. When I left the ring, all three of them were still laying there, just like he left three guys uh, earlier in the show. And uh, the time was uh, just a little over three minutes that it took to do that. So Wow. So it took you that long? Wow. Yeah, it took me I mean, three minutes, yeah. <laughs> that, but anyway. <laughs> I wanted that Harley Race uh, shot, man. <laughs> so I went to the set. My TV trophy was now back on the set with Les. And I tore into what had been the subject of this show, man. Who was going to get the shot at Harley Race? And I pointed out that I was the only wrestler of all of them that had been mentioned on the TV that day that actually had beaten Harley race. Mm -hmm. I said, I was the only one that had beaten Jack Briscoe and Terry Funk in the middle of the ring and had the belts taken away from me after I was awarded them. And then that, if there was any still any doubt about it, all of it would be gone. And all doubt would be finished in six days. Because I intended to win the Southeastern belt, I intended to be still the Southeastern TV champion, and the studio erupted. Man, they were they were all happy with that, man. Well, you laid
0: out a pretty good case for it too. So, all right, and a great way to end the show, Ron. So, tell us what happened the next Friday night in the Coliseum.
1: Well, Dick Steinborn, you know, uh, he uh, barely got a win over really, really improving. Rip Smith and the crowd loved it's Another one of those baby face opening matches. And, uh, I couldn't have been a prouder of those two guys. And by watching that crowd that got up and gave them a standing ovation at the end of a clean wrestling match, not one punch, not one thing done. Wow. The things were really changing in Southeastern. We were becoming a wrestling territory. And Norvell Lawson, he sneaked out with a win over Mike Stallings in the second match. Jimmy Golden and Bob Wharton Jr., they stood that building on their feet, man, uh, for probably 20 minutes of a 30-minute time limit draw. So now they'd had a 20-minute time limit draw and now a 30-minute time limit draw. Robert and Bob Armstrong, they popped the Coliseum. Uh, They ended up double pinning the Von Steigers at the same time, both of them and win in the Southeastern Tag Championship right in the middle of the ring. They were mobbed by the crowd when that match was over. I watched it, and when they left the ring, it seemed like half the building uh, came down to the floor and uh, just uh, stayed on top of them all the way back to the black curtain in the back of the building. And then uh, it was time for me and my match against Stomper, and the building was electric, man. I brought the big old TV trophy to the ring, and Don Carson was already in the ring. He had a uh, Stomper Southeastern belt over his head, and he looked like one of those women in a boxing event that's carrying <laughs> the belt around the ring, you know? yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm looking at it when I'm going there, and I go, what a, what a punk he
0: is. I can just <laughs> see that,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, and then, you know, the crowd, man, they just made me on the way to the ring. It was just an electric in there, you know? I'm, I really got a feeling of just how important this was to fans and to me, too, friends, and how important a match was in Southeastern history. So on the end of this match, Carson, he had loaded his glove. He's out there on the floor. And the referee, I kind of ran in, accidentally impacted the referee, and he went down. I went down, too, but he went down a lot faster and for longer than I was going to be down. And Carson then loaded his glove, and he jumped up on the apron to get the Stomper's attention. But Rob and I talked about this. You know, and Rob, I said, this is really important. I want you to watch this deal and uh, watch my back. So when Carson jumped up on the apron, uh, Rob came down to the ring. Carson never saw him coming. And he drove Carson off the apron, and he nailed him. And, boy, the crowd was into that. Well, wow, they popped. and uh, But the situation kind of grew worse immediately because Bob Orton Jr. arrived down there, and he nailed Rob from behind, and, the two of those guys got into it, and they fought back toward the dressing room. So the ref was still down in the ring you know, on his hands and knees. He hadn't, he hadn't even gotten to his feet. But Carson got back up on the apron, and they motioned for the stomper to full Nelson me. I was getting to my feet, and they bring me over to him. And then Carson reloaded his black glove and boy, he went for the coup de grace, and he threw that big old right hand, and I ducked it, and the stomper took a shot right on the chin, and uh, fell backwards, I fell on him, the ref crawled over, Don Carson tried to get in the ring, but he stumbled, and he fell on his face, you know, trying to get through the ropes in such a hurry, and the ref counted the stomper out, and the building exploded, man, wow, what a pop it was, and Carson regained his feet, and he ran over then to hit me. I'm still on top of Stomper in the back of the head, but I saw him coming. And when he threw the shot, I moved again, and it's the second time he hit the Stomper in the face. Ooh. And another big pop from the crowd. <laughs> so um, by this time, Rob came back to ringside, and he uh, he was out on the floor. And the ref handed me the southeastern belt, uh, in the ring, and then uh, and, and someone then handed the TV trophy to Rob, and I don't think I ever heard that building sound any louder than it was at that point. Uh, we were mobbed by the fans. They had mobbed Rob and Bob in the match before, and they just came back and did it again, and it probably took us 10 minutes to walk 150 feet to get back to that black curtain at the back of the Coliseum. Wow. All right. Sounds like
0: another huge night in the Knoxville Coliseum, Ron. All right. So by now, I think no doubt about who is going to be meeting Harley race.
1: Well, not exactly. Dave, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> the, there were still some hurdles to jump before getting into the ring with Harley, you know, I mean, uh, it, uh, it was such an important deal that, uh, you know, it, we're, we're not quite to the point to where they're going to just uh, hand me the opportunity.
0: Mm. All right. So. But what's it going to take? I mean, can you at least tell wh- what was the attendance for the night? I, it had to be huge for that one.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. It was another big crowd. I can certainly tell you about the attendance. I uh, certainly, you <laughs> know, uh, <laughs> so yeah, it was about 5,500 again. It was just about the same size as the Terry Funk world title night, October 10th, 1976.
0: Man, that's a big buildup for the upcoming NWA world title night with Harley race. So. Will we find out next Studcast who his opponent is going to be, Ron? Well, never, never mind. I know the answer on that. It's, it's <laughs> probably going to come later on. All right. So I think it's, time, I think it's time we get a cold drink and we sit under the learning tree for a moment. Who is the question once again, and remind us, get it, get it set up for us once again.
1: Okay. Uh, a gentleman named Todd Flynn asked this question. And the question was, is it true Jerry Lawler once won the Southeastern belt and refused to come back and defend it the next week? Was that a work, or did something go wrong? So uh, Jerry Lawler did win the Southeastern title for me on Friday, September 16, 1977, in the Bill Meyer Baseball Stadium. It was during the Knoxville Fair when we had to go into the baseball stadium every fall. It was about five months after the match that we're talking about today. Uh, We needed uh, to get the belt back on the Stomper. I had the championship belt at that point. Uh, We needed to get it back to the Stomper to utilize it uh, on that big card with Harley Race. We wanted to have somebody defending the Southeastern Championship rather than me because that would eliminate one of our belts that we could have up and uh, take a little bit away from the card. So I couldn't afford to lose the belt to the Stomper because, you know, that would not that, that would be far from justifying me to get the shot at Harley just three weeks later. So I was due a return match with Lawler on September 23rd. He beat me on the 16th. A week later, I should have had a shot at the belt. But Lawler refused to wrestle me. So, uh, you know, Mr. Uh, Flynn, uh, it wasn't so much that he refused to come back. He just refused to come back and give me a return title shot. And instead of giving me the return title shot, he gave the championship shot to the Mongolian stalper instead. Mm-hmm. Now there's two heels. And so uh, you know, obviously when the fans watch this, they go, now wait a minute, Lawler's gonna lose this match to the stalper. And the stalper had a new manager at that point, it was gorgeous George Jr. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's exactly what happened so, Lawler. And then it was a, it was a ridiculous finish. It was, it was, a, it was a horrible finish. So, uh, obviously Lawler let the Stomper beat him and he took the belt because that would have put Stomper in the position to wrestle Harley race rather than me. So all this got even better back in this uh, September of 77, the Southeastern officials They held up the Southeastern belt in the Lawler versus Stomper match of September 23rd because they felt that something was obviously wrong with the way Lawler had lost. Well, that was pretty simple to see. I watched the match, obviously. So because of that questionable loss, there would be a last-minute tournament in Knoxville on September 30th, 1977 to see who's going to wrestle Harley Race one week later. You know, that's uh, that's the way it went down, Mr. Flynn. You know, the tournament uh, that was going to be held was Terry Funk came back. He was in that tournament, He get, and he was in the first round against my brother. Pat Barrett wrestled the wrestling pro in the first round match, and Ricky Gibson wrestled the assassin, and I wrestled the Mongolian Stomper in that tournament. And uh, so, Mr. Flynn, uh, Lawler did win the Southeastern belt, and he did refuse to defend it against me. He did defend it, though, but it just wasn't me. So instead, he practically gave it to the Mongolian Stomper. And uh, by doing so, he actually put more heat on himself and the Stomper. Hmm. (laughs) Because fans figured it out right away what's going on here. So,
0: (laughs) No doubt. Wow. All right. Listen, a great show, Stud. Once again, you've done it, so an awesome job. On Facebook, simply like and follow Ron On either his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud page, or his author, Ron Fuller Welch page. On Twitter and Instagram, it's Ron Fuller Welch on both. Don't miss part two, Super Studcast number 39 that was released yesterday. This Super Studcast is proving to be a very popular one and is an absolute must for any old school fan that wants to know the history of Vern Gagne's AWA and Big Time Wrestling's History of the Sheik. Southeastern Continental is still being recognized as two of the best wrestling territories of all time. Own it now. 60 matches, 12 hours on five DVDs that are on fire across America as these two territories are finally receiving the acclaim that they deserve. Get them now at tnstud.com. Click on Stud Store for only thirty nine ninety nine, and that includes shipping. And that is a great deal. Ron's shocking lion thriller, Brutus, is receiving accolades from around the world. Brutus is being compared to Jaws, one of the most famous books and movies of all time. Read more than forty five star reviews and get the book on Amazon.com under the word Brutus. B r u t u s Brutus novel, or get the autograph copy from Ron on his website at tnstud.com. Click stud store and get yours today. Tnstud.com. So where are we writing to next week, Ron?
1: Well, in next week, uh, today's training, uh, we're going to discuss how a young wrestler handles the necessary patience that they have to have to become a star that has always been required in the sport of wrestling. Uh, you don't uh, become a star uh, without paying your dues. So we're going to talk a little bit about that for a change. We're going to wear a wrestler hat next week. And then we only have two more stud casts where we're just two stud casts away from the first ever NWA world title defense by Harley race and Southeastern wrestling. And we move ever closer, obviously to finding out who's going to meet race on April 27th, 1977. And we we're going to reveal the great card we're talking about next week is going to be April 14th, 1977. The TV promoting that card uh, we're going to talk about, and we will, uh, we'll will give the uh, attendance for that one as well. The Learning Tree question next week uh, asked me to teach them the economics of booking a tag match to fill a two-hour card that financially cost twice as much as two single matches cost. <laughs> this is a promoter, obviously, here, man. This is a guy that's uh, trying to figure out how the heck can I put together a good card and have a tag match on it that's, that, instead of two single matches and have to pay more money. I can see where this is going, so I look forward to answering that <laughs> one for him, Dave. Great today's training
0: and learning tree questions, and I cannot wait to find out who's going to be wrestling Harley Race on upcoming Studcast number one ninety six.
1: So you know we're going to get there, Dave. Uh, we're we're going to get that uh, we're going to get to that opponent here real real quick here, you know. So and uh, and uh, obviously uh, it's going to be a great ride in getting there. I think fans are going to really enjoy the next couple of programs before we get to the actual Harley Race match. And I want to, uh, as always, thank all my listeners out there for their support, both the uh, Super Studcast and the patrons and also the regular Studcast people. And And if you enjoy what we do uh, out there, please tell your friends about us. Uh, take care of yourselves and others and may God bless us all.
0: Another fun time, Ron, and a great job. This is David Summers thanking you for riding with us today and reminding you, Ron Fuller's Studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. What? This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.